Alright done, g'day guys, welcome back to another episode um, Today we've got Monique on And for you guys, most of you guys probably already know Monique You've seen her, she's now a regular guest officially <laughs> on our <laughs> podcast A fan favourite, let me, let me say She signed oh, the you. contract She signed the contract, she's gone <laughs> um, But for you guys that don't know, Monique is a psychologist with 20 years of experience um, Mainly specialising in mental health, trauma, um, family and marital counselling and many more um, And in today's episode we'll be speaking about sexual harassment abuse in the community and also like how it's being pushed aside um just a trigger warning guys a lot of the things that some things that i said in the podcast might be a bit graphic for your liking so just be prepared for that um we're naive to most of this hence why we've got manik on this episode to help us understand um but yeah i don't know manik if you know i was just mentioning off the podcast before but it's a bit coincidental that we're talking about this topic especially with what's going on in YouTube at the moment. So I don't know if you know, there's a guy named David Dobrik, like a massive YouTuber, mm. probably one of the most successful current YouTubers yeah. um, who films like short four-minute vlogs. And recently he's been cancelled for, rightly, he's been cancelled for filming one of his associates who um, a lady came out allegedly saying that he raped her. Um, so there was a sexual harassment case against him. Mm. And the thing which David Dobrik is getting cancelled for is he actively, not filmed the actual act, yeah. but um, he participated and he sort of like swept it under the rug and didn't speak about it and bring it to light. And then two years later, he's now apologising. And it's funny enough that we say this is not funny, that's probably not the right word to use. But um, it's interesting that this is happening and this is something that's constantly occurring, especially even in like the Muslim um, community. And you know about the, the, the girl that was nominated 2021? Yeah, Grace, if the Shalin of the Year. And sh I, w I want you to develop on why she was actually uh, given the award. Yeah, so so sh she had done so much advocacy for, for many, many years into um, awareness of child sexual abuse. So she herself was a victim of child sexual abuse um, and, and really, um, you know, brought it into the public awareness. And I think one of her... The, the thing that she really championed was for victims to be able to speak out. So victims in a court of law are often gagged, or they, they were gagged, until she pushed for a law reform um, so that the perpetrator could talk about the act, the media could talk about the act, everyone else could talk about the actual act except for the victim themselves, couldn't talk about the act if it went through a court of law. And she pushed for a law reform where now victims are allowed to talk about what happened to them. You know, in in the public domain, and and as a result, you know, she was very rightly so um, um, awarded, yeah, the twenty twenty one Australian of the Year, yeah, and and I guess also in amongst and from that, and now we've got obviously, you know, Brittany Higgins, who was a staffer at Parliament House, who's been who's come out recently and said that she was sexually assaulted, and 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 just all the ramifications that have come out clearly. It's something, you know, really, really bad and um, about the, the culture in Parliament. There's so many stories. It's not even just one anymore. There's multiple stories of things being swept under the rug, right? Yeah. And I think even in our discussion tonight, yeah. this is the whole point of having this discussion because the truth is where taboos exist. So where there's, oh, this, this conversation's too uncomfortable for me and let's sweep it under the rug, you know, that then disclosure decreases so people will not not disclose sexual assault whether they're a child an adolescent or even an adult who has more power than a child or an adolescent and you can see then for even Brittany herself Brittany Higgins that her disclosure was 
terribly hard. Yeah. Mm. Like, you know, she, she'd had to sit on it for, mm. for some years before she went public with it. Okay. Um, and you can only imagine how much more difficult that is for a child or an adolescent who's assaulted yeah. um, and who may not even realise that what's happening to them is assault, and we'll talk about that. But I, I also do want to reiterate that in our discussion tonight, it, it will absolutely be triggering to some people, um, shocking, to, to think that this is happening within the Muslim communities um, in in Melbourne, in Australia, more broadly, globally. But this is this conversation is about getting our head out of the sand, and I have this conversation, you know, a, a lot in different in different spaces. And and I remember having it within the Muslim community in a public domain. It was in a lecture theatre. It was at Monash University. It was probably about oh, I can't remember. It was probably about oh, 20, 20 years ago. And I just remember this stunned you know, um, audience of 400 people, as in 400 Muslim community members, as I was talking about um, sexual abuses that happens with to children within the Muslim community and everyone, like, you could have heard a pin drop. People were like, what? Yeah, yeah sure. What? Yeah. How, like, that, that's not possible. Mm. Like, that's not possible. Like, it's haram. Mm. And, and what, and somehow that immunises the entire Muslim community against any social evil? Yeah. No, unfortunately, the, the truth is it happens, you know. Um, and I guess it was also one of the reasons that I sort of went into the area, you know, through through my studies, like sort of specialising in, in understanding trauma and the impact of trauma long-term as and, you know, assault that's perpetrated against a child, whether it's physical or sexual, can really have some long-standing, you know, um, ramifications for someone's life. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. And you know, the fun, you know the interesting thing as well is like you'd think that being in 2021 that we'd be way past that. Like someone will be nominated for something such as that. And like I just find that so interesting. It's like 20 years ago, the Muslim community were shocked by it. And yet the same thing is still going on. So is the education lacking or is the perpetrators increasing? So do you, do you get mm. what I mean? So it's one of those interesting things as well. I think what's sad, actually, is is that probably within that, in 20 years, not too much has happened within Muslim community education on the topic, mm. I have to say. Yeah. Like, really not, not much has happened. And mm. again, this comes back to the lack of social service infrastructure within the community, maybe not enough professionals who have knowledge to get out there and talk to the community or are in funded positions to do community education, that this, this happens, and also to service the community as well in terms of... Um, psychological treatment for people who are who are um, directly and or indirectly affected by by um, uh, child sexual assault or sexual assault in adulthood. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, do you, so a lot of the a lot of the problems you reckon stem from the education of it. So, like, um, for example, like if somebody was to be sexually abused, it might not feel right to them, especially if they're a child, but they don't know that it's wrong. Do you know what I mean? Because a lot of the times, nobody, it's kind of like something that's taboo like you're saying is just avoided the topic is just completely swept under the rug right. and this is an issue this isn't an issue to us because we're muslims so that means that anybody who has the the term muslim associated with them it should automatically not be a not, uh, not be a variable or a factor in 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 their lives yeah. yeah yeah well i think we need to make one thing clear is that in islam there's there should not be a taboo discussing anything yeah anything at all yeah Right, like education brings people power. Education keeps people safe. Yeah, yeah. you know, education is protective. 
Okay, so we do have to be talking about it and not. But then you got to go. Okay, so but there are cultural influences that then make people go. Shh, it doesn't happen here. Let's just or let's pretend it doesn't happen. You know, to us. Yeah. Um, and and I think a question you pose is around. If we start from childhood, you know, children don't know necessarily what abuse is. See, that's what I was going to ask. I was going to say in terms of like even the child or not even the child, let's just say the victim, yeah? When does the victim sort of find out like, yo, I've been abused, something's not right? Yeah, do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Look, the reality is um, many children are abused, including sexually abused from when they're quite young. You know, we're talking five, seven eight, nine, ten, and I know that that's graphic, but the younger the child, the less likely they are to disclose. So what keeps a child quiet? One, they don't know what it actually is, right? So it it might feel threatening, it might feel uncomfortable, clearly their boundaries are being transgressed, not that they can articulate that, but this doesn't feel good, why is this happening, I don't understand... I'm confused and and they'll stay quiet often for many years yeah you know it's not unusual that in um, in clinic I've had people come and disclose their abuse to me in their 20s even in their mid 30s and there's not another soul on the earth that knows other than them and me mm-hmm. because they've kept it quiet because they didn't want to hurt their parents, upset their parents, make their parents angry, as in when they were a child, even as an adult. Um, they didn't want um, to... Um, even admit it to themselves? Yeah, I, I think admit it to themselves. I think yeah. I think that burying um, bad things that happen to you, I think, is a very wide practice yeah. of um, that occurs regardless of who it is, Muslim or not Muslim, for children who experienced really... Um, such a yeah. gross transgression of their personal boundaries. Yeah. So they can't identify it. So that's one of the things I wanted to do today. So like, what is it? Mm. You know. So if we start from like sexual abuse, it's when you're forced or pressured, tricked even, into doing sexual things when you don't want to, right? Um, it's still sexual abuse, even if it's by someone you know and love. Mm. Okay. And, and I think that this is a really you know, gross fact is that the absolute majority of people who are sexually abused are abused by someone they know and they're abused by someone the parents know really well. Mm. And there's a reason yeah. to that, isn't there? An obvious reason. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, it's about access. Yeah. Access to children, you know. So we think that, you know, you might think that it's more likely to happen, you know, if a kid goes to the playground and they're not supervised and some stranger's going to come up to them. That's actually quite rare, okay. Oh, wow. Um, it's really quite rare. You're, you're way more likely to unfortunately experience abuse by someone that you know by, compared to someone you don't know. Right. So if parents are educating, and this is the thing about our education of children, um, there, there is a type of education <coughs> that's called protective behaviours education. It's, it's more recent, um, probably over in the last you know, decade or two. Um, protective behaviours education is actually giving kids certain information – Beyond just what is your aura, <laughs> you know, like what is that, you know, what is that part of your body where there's modest and no one should see it and no one should touch it. So, and, and that's that forms part of protective behaviours education. Um, but also um, being a little bit more explicit than that, mm. you know, for parents doing that is actually quite protective because it enables kids to be able to say to someone who, who might be an adult that they know, oh, you know, um, you know, un- uncle, as an example, you know, I-, I don't like it when you do that. 
mm. you know, or move away, or it it amplifies their awareness that well, I think I feel that this is wrong, and I've been told that it's wrong. Yeah. Okay. But where everything is hush hush and there's no information, it's it is it becomes even more harder for kids to come come up with this. Yeah. And and most kids think they're going to get into trouble. Mm. It's the number one sort of reason they think they're going to get into trouble. Um, or also, perpetrators threaten children. They threaten children that they're going to harm their parent. They threaten, you know, adolescents that, oh my God, what are people going to think of you if they know you're doing this? Yeah. You know, like, and they, so they sort of target the idea of a reputation, yeah. um, which, which is children don't get, but teenagers do. Yeah. yeah. Um, or, or just even, you know, your parents won't love you anymore if, the, you know, like there's a whole lot of really horrible manipulative things that get said to, so that disclosure doesn't come up. So nothing gets said. Yeah. And it's highly effective. Okay. But often, you know, there's there's also what's called a, a grooming process. So if any of the three of us were, you know, if someone came up and they touched us inappropriately on the street, all of us would react quite strongly. Like our bodies would react, our hands would go up, and we would be, you know, maybe yelling at the person, yeah. you know, get away from me, you know, and, and we would get a really strong visceral reaction. Why? Because they entered our boundary line and... and we're, the three of us are aware of going. That was inappropriate, and mm. but but more than that, this is illegal. This is a crime. This is not okay. Like you've got a flood of thoughts going through your head that also help you, um, you know, to really defend yourself in that moment. Mm. But grooming, which often happens, you know, to you know children, believe it or not, starts with parents. So in situations where there's where the perpetrator is someone that is known to the family, a family, you know, a, literally a, a relative, um, a parent, a step parent, um, and and I'm not just making these up. Like these are all cases that I've had. It's yeah. been they've been parents, they've been step parents, they've been uncles, they've been older cousins, you know, they've been brothers, you know, like. Um, They've also been female cousins mm -hmm. as well, you know. So even it's there's not always a gendered thing, but yeah. Um, so even with perpetrators and victims, there's no gender to it, correct? Like in terms absolutely. of the perpetrator can be both female and male, and can the victim be. can be both yes. male and female. Absolutely, yeah, yeah that's right. Um, so often, you know, when when someone is known, the grooming starts with the parent, okay, not just the child. The parent, you know, so. And that can look like um, a perpetrator doing favours for a parent. You know, I'll look after your kids or oh, let me go and get your shopping for you. Actually, oh, here's some money. You know, it seems like you can't afford to pay that bill. You know, like uh, uh, the perpetrator will do favours for the parent to make the parent feel like that they owe that person something, okay? A debt of gratitude, okay? And, and so when, when they do all these favours for the parent – and they appear like a really trustworthy person and mashallah, they're such a good brother, such a good uncle, such a good person, you know, and their status elevates in the mind of the parent that th that person's a safe person for their children to be around. You know, like, yeah, yeah, go, yeah, yeah, you can go to uncle and auntie's yeah. house, yeah, you can play with the cousins, no problem, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure, you can sleep over, that's fine, no worries. We'll take care of you. Yeah, yeah. well, oh, they're going to be, that's a safe household, right? Mm. 
Can you see how hard that is then for the parent to make decisions about who is a safe adult? And I'm, I'm hoping not to alarm everyone and to, you know, I don't want to put a ban on sleepovers, for God's <laughs> yeah. sake. Um, oh. But I want parents to be aware, you yeah. know, just to have your blinkers off. Not every adult is a safe person. Yeah. Not every adult. And, you know, if often parents, some parents might get a little bit of an intuition you know, that something's not right in terms of someone being a little bit too helpful mm. or a little bit too touchy-feely, you know, with the kids or, you know. And, and, and this is where your brain can play tricks on you because part of you as the adult doesn't want to think anything bad of, you know, your relatives or of, you know, a teacher at school or, you know, of a coach or of a older cousin or an older brother or something. Of course, no one wants to think ill. Um, and quite honestly, most people couldn't even conceive that this is possible. Yeah, for sure, 100%. Especially not to someone that you love or that's your child. <coughs> Absolutely. Mm. And not someone who's doing so much for you or your family or your kids. Yeah. And, you know, you just don't, you can't fathom it. Yeah. Um, but in that it makes it easy for you to drop your guard. Mm. And I guess that's the perpetrator's whole goal, to manipulate, I guess, the person in charge here, the mother or the father, cloud their thought, psychologically manipulate them to the point where they can gain that trust. And, and access. Then, and then access. Like you were saying before the podcast, the whole thing about trying to disarm their defence, you know yes. what I mean? And their natural intuition. Absolutely. That's crazy. So, you know, your, your question before is when do kids realise, you know, well, sometimes not until they hit, you know, their sort of very late childhood, mm -hmm. you know, um, or early adolescence when they're more likely to be exposed to conversations or pick up on, pick up on, um, uh, I guess, information, you know, through whether it's websites or, you know, conversations. And that's why it's important, um, you know, that, that Grace hit, you know, the, the 2021 Australian of the Year because by her being in that particular position, yeah. everyone was talking about it. Yeah. You know, it was it like really went through the media and that's really important. So it sort of makes it um, uh, much more of a this, – this is a possibility. Yeah. Not this would never happen. Mm. Yeah. So that's why it was important for someone like her to win an award like that. Yeah. I've got another follow-up question on that. Um, are there cases where, um, and I know this might be a sensitive, but clients come up or people speak to you or they're just people out there who don't know that they've been abused, but by the way their mannerisms or the way they speak and talk have been, like you've sort of like tell them, hey, you might have been abused when they don't even know themselves. You get what I'm getting at? Like symptoms. So not probably not yeah. so much like um, maybe and maybe not right. Yeah. So it's not something that I can just you know look at a hundred people and then pick like no 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 yeah. Um, but I, I think sometimes clients will um, you have to understand it's incredibly difficult for clients to articulate that they've been abused. Yeah. Um, I don't think in this day and age when we're talking about adult clients. Clients come in the knowledge that they have been abused. Gotcha. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're going to tell you. Yeah. Because even as a therapist, they've got to trust you first because mm -hmm. one of the big things with someone who has been grossly transgressed is trust issues, is not wanting to trust any anyone, you know. And that doesn't mean that those people are not partnered. You know, these are people who have 
possibly got married already and it doesn't mean that they, they're not happy in their marriages, you know, so, you know, life moves on. But trust issues remain with people, so they're quite cautious in disclosing even to a therapist. And, yeah. and a good therapist will never push that issue. You create a space for a client where they can feel really safe and to tell you this thing in their own time to yeah. find their voice in this issue is really important. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Is there like, because um, I know we were talking about like the process of it and how basically a lot of the times it starts with the mother or the father and, and then it goes from there. Is there a time where a person will go direct to the child? Basically, they'll, they'll kind of like surpass the family members. Obviously, I think it would be more likely in adolescence because there will be less parent supervision and stuff. But is there like stages where, okay, the person just goes, I'm, I'm nice to you, I'm kind, here's a dollar, here's five bucks, oh, you need this or that, or whatever it is. Because they talk about it when it comes to like, um, like for example, drug dealers, how they get in, like the, the younger people, the grooming process for that is mm. basically like, hey, here, hold this, man. Like, you know, just do this for me, this real quick and then, and then they kind of like just familiarize themselves with you and then you're kind of like, yeah, nothing happened to me. I'm kind of safe here and, and then bang. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, and I think this is around context where children are, you know. Um, so whether it's in, you know, sporting clubs or, you know, the scouts or, you know, religious organisations where there's gatherings of children. So where a perpetrator has more direct access or responsibility for groups of children yeah. you know so the parents might just sign their kid up for something and then send their kid off and 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 believe that they're going to be safe yeah. um and mostly they are and every now and again they're not because there's a perpetrator in the organization yeah there's some weird culture around i think football teams where basically i think it was soccer yeah we heard it from certain yeah. soccer teams basically they go you have to shower naked with the team. Yeah. You have mm. to, like, everything off and everyone has to shower together mm. as some sort of bonding activity. How, like, in all honesty, like, is that or is that not a bit weird? Like, in regards to, like... What, what ages are we talking about? <laughs> the grown people, grown men. Yeah, but they normalise that like, from a yeah, young age as well. They, they make them pay fines whether, like, if mm. they don't, like, comply, which is weird to me. Yeah, and we were talking about um the the Richmond players, the ones that got caught last year groping, yeah, yeah. Chol and stuff like that. Yeah, and then um, I wanted to talk to you basically about um, like the myths to do with sexual abuse because a lot of the times you just go, oh yeah, no, it's the boys. Oh, we're just at school or high school, whatever it is, and someone sack taps the other person, and or if not, somebody's groping somebody, and or they, you know, the, the weird stuff. To be honest with you. Went yeah. to all boys' schools, so I saw it all, but yeah, yeah. So, yeah. um, I wanted well, to isn't it interesting because I think in, in those sorts of type of situations, you're going to get people who will just brush it off and go, Oh, this is just bonding, like, oh, we're just having a bit of fun and really not think anything more of it. Yeah. But then you're going to get other people who go, Who will feel violated mm. because of it. So, when we're, we're you know, the, remember what the definition is about unwanted acts, yeah. So, the person, one person might go, whatever, don't care, it's just part of, you know, part of the game, part of whatever. And so their rules are different about what's appropriate for them or not, okay? And then you get another person, guy, girl, young person, you know, adult, etc. that's that go totally unacceptable. 
Mm. I feel grossly violated by this type of behaviour or by an innuendo or by one remark or by an, uh, one inappropriate touch and feel grossly violated by it. Yeah. And it really start to play on their mind to go, I didn't want that to happen. Yeah. Why did that happen? And then the victim starts to doubt what they're feeling as well because of the cultural environment. For like, right. I remember when the Richmond player, the situation came to light and then like the comments under social media is like, but that's what we're doing for you. Like we've been doing it since like grassroots footy. You go in and it's like, why is he, why do people even have an opinion on this? It's like, it's not your place to say if he felt violated, he, if he felt violated and he was violated, simple as that. Yeah. Do you go in. So it's yeah. like that suppression of someone else's feeling. Yeah, absolutely. It, it was, it was the, um, it was actually the media and the news that saw it oh, and they're like, news, yeah. wow, like how he's allowing this in the club. And then the club had to like, oh, now damn, we got yeah. things in measure and whatever. And basically the next guy, like he, he himself goes like, I think he's a, accustomed to it now. Yeah. Like, in, like mm. I'm not here to question this guy because he's a grown man. He can make his own decisions and stuff. But um, I was going to ask about like, um, even if somebody enjoys it, or somebody like not enjoys it. Let's just say somebody's okay with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like for example, fourteen year old kid and he gets groped and whatever and he goes, Oh yeah, like whatever, man, it's just yeah. the boys. Yeah. Like even though they've got no issue with it. Like I've heard stuff like this weird thing, but this guy like goes being a Miley Miley Annapolis. Yeah. That guy and he goes, When I was fourteen I was touched by an older man. He goes, But I enjoyed it and it helped me with my I don't know, my discovery or whatever that stuff is. Yeah. Like, regardless of the matter, like, you can't justify a situation like that, especially when somebody who's, like, of an older, like, like at least has some sort of wits about him when it comes Absolutely. to, like, maturity. Yeah. And, like... And sometimes it's someone's very coping, uh, coping strategy to minimise what happened to them so they can survive it. Yeah. So whether that's Milo's strategy was to go, I'm not going to define this as abuse... Because what would happen if I did? Yeah. If I don't define it as abuse, if I then go, oh, but I liked it or something like that, then in his mind that helps him to cope with it. But it doesn't make it okay. Mm. And this is the thing I think that we're discussing and you can see this in Parliament at the moment and, and in and broader society and the Me Too movement. There are cultural rules that have shifted. Those goalposts have shifted about what was maybe in the realm of appropriate based on the, the time or no one was talking about it or it wasn't being challenged and I'm sure it's always been challenged. But there's some significant shifting of the, of the cultural go, goalposts around sexual assault, what's considered sexual assault, particularly in adulthood. I don't think anything anyone disagrees you know, with it occurring in childhood, of it being criminal, et cetera, et cetera. But in right now there's lots of discussions around what constitutes sexual harassment in the workplace you know or um, even within schools etc what you can say what you can't say what's defined as sexist what's not like there's lots of discussions and that's all very important mm. so people can go yeah you're right because really it's not a bad direction that we're heading in if the direction is around respectful relationships yeah 100 percent. what's wrong with it and, and keeping right. people safe yeah. so keeping people's body safe keeping people's minds safe you know and you're protecting them both mental and and physical well-being because mm. a lot of the times when it comes to especially child sexual abuse like the effects they don't happen straight away it kind of like especially when they're children they don't realize the magnitude <coughs> of the situation until they're older yeah. you know yeah and a lot of the times yeah that's why they say that like um 
for example, they have like an age limit on when people can date. You know what I mean? Like there's like you have to be above yep. 18 to be like if you're above 18 yourself, you can only date people who are above 18 because mm. there's there's certain developmental things that occur underneath that age where you're kind of in a position of predatory behavior because you know exactly what's going on and the person is still discovering, you know? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. It's just weird to me that it's just so open nowadays. Yeah. That like, that um, it's just, especially within the Muslim community, like it's something that we don't hear about, you know? Mm. It's And it's, sorry, it's weird to me that it's not as openly spoken about mm. because when it comes to things like this, everyone who has a child or everyone who has family members, sisters and brothers and who's protective of them will need to know exactly what to do in this situation, you know? And like, mm. I remember my mum always telling me, whenever somebody comes near you, anybody, and I remember this when I was three, <laughs> my mum used to tell me, no, say no, move away, run away, come to me, talk to your dad, mm. talk to your mum, talk to anyone. I don't care what happens, you just don't let anyone touch you, yep. especially here. And yep. mum just goes, no. And now, now we're just reiterating, like, I feel like it's just like a reiteration of my mom. She mm. listens to this, she's going to tell me, I told you so. Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? your mum yeah. was doing protective behaviours yeah. education with you. Really, <laughs> you know, going to be really clear with you. Yeah. And I think lots of parents are doing that exact same thing. Yeah. They're being really clear because that arms the child with the, in the knowledge. And also, I think what your mum said, you know, is around, if someone does something to you that you don't like, you come and tell me and you're not in trouble. Oh, my mum loved okay. that. That's a big one. You're sure. not in trouble. You're yet. not in trouble. Okay. Yeah. So kids will do lots of little things and they're like, oh, I'm going to be in trouble. You know, um, and then, but the thing is, is that what perpetrators do is perpetrators will plant the idea that the kid has done something wrong. Mm -hmm. So not only does it feel wrong to their body, okay, but it also then, then they'll be told that they're doing something wrong, but they'll be threatened to keep quiet. So you put in, you plan a few ideas and that keeps kids very quiet, yeah. okay? Until, you know, ex with the exception, and I've definitely seen this work, where kids have disclosed, like, almost immediately because parents armed them with the, if such and such, or if anyone does anything to you or touches you inappropriately or doesn't feel good or you didn't want it to occur, you come and tell me. Yeah. And so now what we're actually seeing is kids in primary schools going, such and such did something inappropriate in the toilet, you know? Yeah. And so kids are putting their hands up, you know, like almost pointing fingers because kids do silly things too and, you know, they um, – and, and sometimes – and it's innocent, but it's not innocent when it's an adult. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Because so, kids say whatever's on their mind. But the thing is what I gathered from what you said there, like it's very, very important for like parents and their children to have like open dialogue. Yeah, so then yeah. when these stuff come out, yeah, they can speak their conscience because kids have an innocent conscience. They just say what they think. Mm. But then when parents create that barrier where it's like it's sort of wrong to say certain things, then they never end up telling you. And then by the time they do find out, I don't, I don't understand myself, but by the time they do find out, a lot of problems would have occurred and well, trauma I, would have faced. I, I think you're spot on. And I think one of the most horrendous things that I've you know sometimes witnessed with clients is if I've said, you know, as a, as a child – were you able to tell anyone that this was happening? And some some clients will say, yeah, I told my parents and they didn't believe me. Wow, okay. Or I was told to shut up about it and to never speak of it again. Wow. 
So you can only imagine what those two responses would do to a child, what it gives that child that thing, I did something wrong. So the act of, of child sexual abuse is incredibly shameful for the perpetrator, mm. not to the child, okay? But the child feels the shame, particularly if it's cast as shameful, as in, <gasps> what? You know, and parents will then, you know, sometimes blame the child, yeah. like say the most horrendous of things to the child yeah. um, and then the child's like I regret saying anything now yeah you know and I just want to make this go away because I don't want to be in, I don't want to lose the love of my parents I don't want to lose their approval I don't want to be I don't want to be seen as you know shameful and so the kids will then go into silence again mm. and perhaps never speak of it but it doesn't mean they don't act it out yeah okay so, so what advice would you give to like parents or even older like family members in the community who someone who when or like a kid does come up to them and say hey this uh, so and so happened and so and so did this to me what's what should they be what what should their first response be believe them believe them cuz the kids don't make it up okay you always have to believe the child under all circumstances, you believe the child. You support the child. You don't make shameful statements of the child. You reiterate that they're not in trouble. Even you thank them for telling you that information because if they have told you that information, you're a trusted adult in their life and they need that actually to support and to be healed. So they need to know that you're going to be a safe adult. I think the problem is, is when Parents say, I don't believe you or no, this didn't happen or you're imagining things or or be quiet is now that person who is most likely a parent is now also not a trusted person. Mm. Okay. And that can that can be as damaging as also the the assault as to going because what happens then is they feel betrayed by the parent. Yeah. So I'm assaulted and you don't have my back. Yeah, well, Great. What do I do now? So I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. What do I do? You know, and, yeah. and the kids and ki- children don't have strategies for this. You know, they don't have cognitive strategies of, you know, oh, let me reframe my thinking or let me go get counselling or no. Children don't have access to this. Yeah. Pa- parents are instrumental in helping their children to recover, you know, from being being assaulted. Mm-hmm. Absolutely instrumental. Yeah. Uh, and of course, this is difficult for everyone to you know to hear. You know, you can't imagine what it is for a parent to have to hear that information and have to accept that that's a reality for their child, okay? Of course they want to believe that it's not true. They'll go into denial very quickly, like, this can't have happened. Like, how? Under my nose. You know, like, how? So there's there's a huge amount of, you know, um, emotional feelings that come up for parents that's go, how did, how did this happen? How did I not see this? And honestly, you know, I think one of the myths in the community and, and something that gets said, and I think it's very flippant, um, is, oh, how did the parent not know? Yeah, Parents don't because yeah. pedophiles are clever mm. at keeping the children, like preventing them from disclosing because of threats. Yeah, well. Okay. So, you know, this is so, you know, but parents feel an enormous sense of, you know, guilt. You know, like, oh my God, I failed my child, or what? Why didn't I? Why didn't I support them? 
you know, or why didn't I notice? Like, and they'll rack their brains. Like, I guess any any good parent that's going to go that feels bad, even if their kid falls over and they get a, a bruised knee, it's like, oh, didn't I tell you so? You shouldn't yeah. be running down the hallway, you know. And parents are always on their kids because that's the last thing that that parents want to see is their children get harmed in any way, shape, or form. But that's also the last response that that kid wants to hear when they do open up Absolutely. to you as well. Absolutely. The last thing they should I wanted yeah. to talk about parents who are aware. You know, like the ones who hear from the, the child. The child has made it very clear and explicit. Why has happened? What the, who's done it? Who's yeah. the perpetrator? What's going on? Do you believe that those parents should be held complicit? Like, because they've kind of basically known about what's happened to their child. And they've taken it in and they've realised that it is a possibility to occur. Obviously, the defence mechanism pops up where they're like, oh, yeah. I don't want that to happen to my child and I don't want him to go through that and I'm going through this and I feel like I feel bad as a parent like I failed this kid and but like I get that but like like there should be like put the kid above you you know like shouldn't it be like like an added measure where just to make sure that the parents go okay I don't care that it's like for example if the mum I don't care that it's my brother that touched my child <coughs> I don't care about that mm. like you did that. You deserve to be punished mm. for what you've done. Mm. You're a piece of... Mm-hmm. What are you saying? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I think you raise a really good point. I think particularly, you know, within really tight-knit families, because to believe the child is to out one of your relatives. Mm. Mm. But Islamically, that's exactly what you should do. Because to not do that is also to um, possibly keep covering up like his behaviour with other children. That person is a risk, not just for your child, but for other children within your family yeah. or maybe his own children or in the extended community. You know, so to if you don't out, like, and I, you know, like it's complex and it's difficult, but the truth is when children are told to be quiet and just like, it's fine, like, you know, um, I might get your counselling in secret, but just don't speak to anyone about it. But when they don't out or report the relative to the police, and I have to tell you, many families do not do that. They keep it in, like, in-house. Mm. It's like, we know you've done that, and they get spoken to, or they get, you know... Those family members still go to family functions. Yeah. Like, pedophiles are still rocking <coughs> up to people's weddings. People's akikas. You know, like, pedophiles, if they're not being outed or reported to the police because, yeah, they believe the child, but they're still covering up for the pedophile. Mm. Which are systems in their in their work? Bro, it Dave, helps. I'm them. telling you, man. It's just 100%. so weird yeah. to me, man. Yeah. How the hell do you know that person there touched your child, and you just can sit there and look at that person? Oh, that had his head. I don't. I can't. I can't understand it. <laughs> allow, allow, allow your 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 pride or your stature in society, man. That's what I think. It like is. I don't get it. Like, obviously, it. alhamdulillah, I haven't been in the situation. Mm. So, and I may Allah never put any of us in that situation. Yeah. But, but this is our. But this is many communities who give too many craps about what other people think. Yeah, reputation. Okay. Yeah. So, and so, if they were to out or report to the police, many families are fearful that they will that their status will be wrecked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what will people say? But the truth is, the shame is that of the pedophile. The shame isn't that of the family, even though the act is shameful. Mm-hmm. The acts of the pedophile is shameful. Yeah. But shame gets cast because it's such a horrible, horrible act. Mm. Yeah. So people then go, don't know how to deal with this. And they go into avoidance to cope rather than activate what should be 
the most healthy adulting response is to report the person to the police and let them do their investigation. Yeah. Now, many parents obviously have fears about that, about, you know, dragging their children through the courts and that type of thing. And that's totally understandable. Some kids themselves may not want that, mm. you know, or some teenagers may not want that. Um, and but that's why many, many children are only sort of come up as, as adults and then go, no, I want to persecute that person. Yeah. I, I, as in, I, sorry, I want to prosecute that person. I, I want to, you know, they need to pay for what they did to me as a kid. Um, but I think... Again, remember, this is a decision for parents. If it comes to the light of the knowledge of parents and or families and extended families, I want you to think about what do you think it's like for for a child or, or an adolescent to be at the same wedding as a perpetrator of sexual abuse? I couldn't imagine it. What, what do you think that does to the child that they actually rock up to your house for iftar because the family's too embarrassed to exclude them from iftars? Mm. to save face yeah like this this is what is happening it's like let's not say anything but let's expect that child to have to be re-traumatized having to see hear or smell the perpetrator yeah it's crazy because parents won't report to the police Mm. okay and it's tough I'm, I'm not saying it's not tough, but you know what? This is where this, this is about. It's important for parents to understand that there's support out there. There are multiple organisations that support families to have to go through this. If, as soon as a report gets made to the police, they become victims of crime. You can access individual counselling. You can find counsellors, you know, that speak your language or that understand your religious, uh, you know, background. Or you can go to, you know, really big reputable organisations like Gatehouse, which is associated with the Royal Children's Hospital, um, particularly for child sexual assault. Or if you're an adult and has have experienced sexual assault. Um, you know, you can go to um, the Centre Against Sexual Assault. There's multiple locations around or there's so many counsellors and psychologists that are trained to deal with sexual assault. Yeah. Um, so people who understand all of these dynamics that I'm talking about, you know, so that they can support, you know, the, the, the child, the adolescent or the parents even who are just, you know, reeling in the, the trauma of, of uh, disclosure. Yeah. i got a question. So is that why, like... Um the perpetrators tend to be repeat offenders, like the pedophiles, because no one has ousted them and said that that person did such and such? Or is it because often they, like, I don't know, there might be cases where they hold high positions in the community back then, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is why it is really important. You know, I think parents are concerned about the, the legal process and they should certainly investigate it. You know, so understand, do some research, uh, have a conversation with, you know, um, a police officer who works within a sexual assault unit, you know, specifically working with children. And there are, there's specialised units. Kids are really, you know, like cared for in the system. Um, I think we have to get past a couple of a couple of sort of myths. I think some parents think that if we don't talk about it ever again, it's going to go away. Okay, as in go away in the mind of the child, mm. and that's just not true. It never goes away? It never goes away. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, as in the memory of it is never going to go away. How yeah. it affects people is different, yeah, exactly. right? So, and and so if they don't address it when, when a child is a child or when an adolescent is an adolescent and they're disclosing what happened to them as a child or as an adolescent, um, 
early intervention is key. The, the quicker you can get a child or an adolescent treatment, the better, yeah. you know, so that they don't embed that shame in their entire being. You know, like, I am bad, I am unworthy, why did this happen to me? Well, it must be because I'm bad, you know, or, you know, or, or, or thinking that God's forsaken them. God's left me. God doesn't care about me because this happened to me, you know, as a child, and I was innocent, and this bad thing happened to me, and um, and there's so many ramifications in terms of how people try and cope. You know, this is this sits and can weigh on someone so heavy that they, you know, um, go into multiple different types of avoidance mechanisms. One is they bury it, they put it in a suitcase, and they lock it away, and they hope themselves that that suitcase never comes up for them. But inevitably, it does come up for mm, them. Yeah. Okay, you know, if it happens as a child, it can come up for a teenager when they're a teenager when they hit puberty and their body changes and it makes them and then they become sexual beings because of you know the the sort of their maturation or it comes up for them when they're about to get married to someone and go, mm, God, how am I gonna? Do I have to disclose this to my partner, particularly if they're Muslim, particularly if they're female? What ramifications? What type of conversation am I gonna have with a partner? You know. Um, so, so then yeah, they have to revisit that thought as well. They have well. to, they revisit it. Yeah. Or when they're pregnant or when they're giving birth, you know. Yeah. So, or when they have children themselves and are then have the memories of what happened to them as a child and now they're the parent who is has to be really mm. vigilant, you know, who feels I have to be very vigilant. This happened to me as a kid and now I have to be overly vigilant to every adult because I know that they're not safe because that thing happened to me. Mm. So you think that if you're a parent and you say, right, if we never talk about this again, it's not going to affect the kid. That's so untrue. So untrue. Mm. The damage being done is is really really bad. So early intervention is key. Mm. You know, giving that child a safe space to talk. You know, to someone about it, and it doesn't necessarily just have to be the parent. Yeah. <laughs> Ideally, uh, you know. So um, speaking of intervention, what about what's the role of a like a psychologist in the case of um, sexual harassment, sexual abuse? Oh, that's a good question. Um, it's really. I mean, one of the. The big thing is to establish a really trusting therapeutic relationship with someone. Yeah. Someone's going to come to you again. They may not disclose it. They might come for other presenting issues, depression, anxiety, drug addiction. Um, I mean, um, relationship issues, um, just just general mistrust and abuse or, you know, self-esteem. So the presenting issues could be um, very different than, oh, I'm coming because I want to talk about, you know, something that happened to me in childhood. So that might be the origin of many other issues that a person has had. So it really depends on what, you know, partly what they're presenting with, whether they feel that they want to open, open, you know, that, that story and bring that into the counselling room. And if they do, then, you know, a myriad of different types of trauma therapy, you know, to work through. And it really depends on what type of symptoms people are having at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I could only imagine the struggles of, like, seeing a psychologist because – you're already dealing with something taboo and something hard to, or first of all, like deal with. Then on top of that, having to go speak to someone about it, who sometimes you might not even know. Mm. You know I mean, it becomes like an extra, extra burden. So I couldn't imagine what that person goes through. I think there's some safety. I think one of the reasons people come to a psychologist full stop is yeah. is because they don't know you, yeah. <laughs> and they can come and they can dump their stuff and they can and they understand that it's confidential and that it's not going to leave the room and they're like. Okay, good. I'm done. Okay, yeah, yeah that that thing's left there, and mm. I can go and live my life for the yeah. next few weeks. And um, so there's there's some safety there. Um, yeah. But I was going to ask about the myths again because I know he's developed on one, but there will be many myths when it comes to this sort of thing. So, like, is there anything else that people should be aware of? 
because we, we, we like that in itself to me is crazy mm. because you think that for a child they'd forget because life hits and then things move on but what you're telling me is that it's unavoidable that they're going to come or cross paths with that thought or that memory further down the line whether mm. it's yeah. if their children or themselves whenever they go through like those sort of stuff yeah are there any other myths like just just some, something that people would kind of like probably not think about I think the main one was one that I said before, which is particularly within the Muslim community. Are you talking about? That? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is that it doesn't happen? Yeah. <laughs> now it shouldn't happen, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, it does happen. Yeah. And um, I'm just trying to think if there's any other. I'm, I'm sure there's other myths out there that people like. Yeah. As in, when we're talking about myths, we're talking about beliefs that are totally irrational and have no basis in science. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I'm sure there are lots of beliefs that people have, um, and that are usually detrimental to the victim. Yeah. Yeah. So it is important for our community to talk about this. It's important for um, our community organisations to also think how can we be safe for our children you know um so many years ago i um authored the it was a victorian senate inquiry into um, child abuse within religious and other organizations so other institutions and I i think it's really important to think how can we as muslim community really protect children yeah full stop any child you know how can we be more protective um, and increase those protective factors so it, it doesn't happen. Because mm-hmm. quite frankly, there are many risk factors. There are, the Muslim communities have many vulnerabilities um, that not only um, hide pedophiles, yeah. see, risk factors hide pedophiles, yeah. albeit not intentionally, but they do. Okay? Yeah. And the other Could thing you just I- explain that real quick? So risk factors hide pedophiles. So when we don't talk about it... Yeah. In the community, when it's never the subject of a chuppah, yeah. when people try and brush it under the rug, yes. okay, um, or when people minimise the impact, then it keeps it can keep pedophiles safer for longer. Safer for longer. Yeah. Work in the dark, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. When when pedophiles are not reported, yeah. Okay. When people resort to, oh well. There were no witnesses where, you know, what we're relying on the testimony of a child. Mm. Oh, well. What can we count the child as a witness? Yeah. And you know what's another line that I hear all the time, or I hear frequently, not all the time, is why are they coming ab- out about it right now? Like, like for example, like it happened five years ago, it happened ten years ago. Like, yeah. why are you coming out about it right now? Why yeah. didn't you come about it at the time? Mm-hmm. I- is that a question you, you hear a lot as well? Yeah. Yeah, mm. definitely. And what would you answer to that? I have a why c- do they? I get victims that say, I don't know why I didn't say this earlier. Yeah. Okay. Particularly as, so if, if you've been, if you've been um, the victim of pedophilia, you know, and or the victim of child abuse when you're a child, you don't have, you don't have enough power. You may not understand what's happening to you at the time. You only do later. Um, you might raise it or you may be terrified to raise it. So you never do because of threats made against your family. Like, I'll hurt your family members if you say anything. Mm. Or no one will love you anymore or, or they'll ask you to leave home. Or So threats are made against children and adolescents to stay quiet. So they do, okay, until they find a voice in adulthood when they go, hang on a minute, I was a victim of this 
and this was totally wrong and this is having implications on my life and I have a voice, I'm an adult and I have power and children don't have power. Mm. And Sometimes women in situations don't have power to yeah. say anything. Yeah. So Brittany Higgins, for example, said she sat on this or she made, she, she made the allegation, went to the AFP, was unsure how it would, because it was pre-election, was very unsure, very uncertain that she would have a career if she mentioned it. So she said nothing because she didn't feel her career would be safe. Mm. And she's an adult. So when you perceive you are not safe in a situation, you are unlikely to say anything. So you delay until you're safe. The other thing is also about psychological safety. You know, if you're in the middle of a war, mm. you don't go, oh, yeah, I'm going to deal with that trauma as bullets are flying over your head. <laughs> no, you run. You get away. So physical health is your priority. So your physical safety, mm -hmm. survival is priority first, which means just get out of the situation. Okay, get out of the situation, yeah. get safe, get away from the perpetrator or perpetrators. Yeah. Okay. So the delay can be, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? I'm not sure. I'm not sure my body's sending me messages that I'm not safe. Yeah. So, so, and then, so when someone feels that they are physically safe, yeah. they are much more then, then either, either the trauma can come forward and go, okay, you remember that thing that happened to us when we weren't, you know, safe? Yeah. Now you can have a look at me. Yeah. Remember that trauma that, yeah, that happened a while ago. Here you go. Yeah. Now have a look at it. Okay? Yeah. And, and that's really a normal response of how the human body deals with trauma anyway. It's yeah. not usually when people are under fire that yeah. people are going, I need to talk about this with someone like right now. No, get your body gets safe first and then Triggers. and then you talk about what's going on or it's what happened and, and there's a space there for recovery. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like the fight and flight response, like biologically – your first thing is to get to a place of safety. Absolutely. But then the problem is when you do get to a place of safety, then everything comes and it comes in waves and fast yeah. and it impacts you. And what if and what if the impact of the trauma is that your body actually never feels psychologically or physically safe? Yeah. What if it's what if it's throwing you flashbacks? What if you're re-experiencing it with panic attacks? What if you're re-experiencing it with you know, constant anxiety symptoms. Yeah. And then what if your body then puts you in a depression because the world is just too overwhelming? Yeah, that's interesting. I really appreciate the analogy that you gave with the bullets. It might seem like a bit how you on some people, but I was one of the people that never understood why do people come out about it later on? Because it's obvious personal because I haven't dealt with it. But then like when you take it out of the context of the person, biologically, just the body hasn't even reacted to right. it yet. Right. And they react to it down to us. So I appreciate that. That's right. Um, I think a lot of the time, yeah, I wanted to bring this back to the Muslim community. A lot of the times, yeah, people think that because I fear Allah, everyone who's also Muslim has this innate taqwa and that fear of God. Mm. So when it comes to a transgression yeah. like this, for example, which is yeah. un, like unfathomable, yeah. honestly, like somebody walking up to an innocent child and doing something like this, or a person who's helpless. And doing something like this. Like it just seems so immoral. And so, but people have to understand that there are some, s maybe, oh, I don't want to, you know what? Sickos. Let's just say sickos, yeah? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm trying Enough. to be too politically correct, but there's no other way to describe these Go type of it. people, yeah? yeah? Like, um, there's some sickos out there that don't, they don't work in the realm of God no more, you know? Mm. They don't, they don't believe in, they don't believe in any consequences to their actions so long as the, so long as the, the realm of this world, of the physical, doesn't provide a consequence, you know? Yeah. And a lot of the times parents will say, for example, they'll go to an Islamic school or 
whatever it is, and his child has been transgressed against. And they're like, but look at the label, you know? The label is basically, oh, well, the kids at an Islamic school where 999% of the time, mm. out of 1,000% of the time, which doesn't make sense, but 999.99% yeah. of the time, nothing's happened. But why is it that my child is coming to do this or this particular child? Mm. So maybe you're making things up, you know? But a lot of the times, yeah, a lot of people just think that because the label of Islam or Muslim mm. is attached to something, yeah. that it automatically assumes that human beings within that label, yeah. within that category, they can't transgress. That's right. Is there is there like um, is there a way to just like remove that, you know, from the Muslim? We community? are. <laughs> oh, I, I think our conversation tonight is gonna really remove that. It's a good um, start. <laughs> yeah, it's a good it's a good start. You you have to. You have to talk about it. You know, it has to. You know, it's not a pleasant discussion. But when our when our kids are age appropriate, it absolutely needs to be a discussion. And of course, we can have discussions about protective behaviours in ways that are totally <coughs> age appropriate, even for a five year old. It doesn't mean you disclose everything, but you are, you can disclose certain things about, you know, who gets to co you know who gets to cl come close to them. You know who's not allowed to see them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So even the five-year-old, even a three and four-year-old, can have some understanding of that. You know, mm. um, around and and I think some of those protective things that parents do is increasing, you know, the modesty in their children. You know, like don't run around naked. You know, like no one's allowed to see you. You know, mm. and every parent will go through that. I can tell you. You know, um, and 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 also getting kids to say no. One of these things that I heard recently, which was around, you know, when we go and we take our kids, little kids with us in particular, um, you know, to, you know, want to eat or something like that. You know, parents are, you know, sternly going, shake uncle's hand or, you know, and there's various different cultural practices, you know, one kiss, two kiss, three kisses, you know, and the kids are going, I don't want to, <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. want to shake, I don't want to kiss. Like, no, don't hug me. And kids are resisting because they don't know the person well enough. Yeah. And there's this, there's these cultural practices which is like, no, shake the person's hand or, you know, kiss your auntie or, or something like that. And what we're sort of doing there is the thought is you're sort of interrupting a child's natural um, aversion and you're actually in some small way disabling their no. Yeah. Like their no about what they do with their body. Yeah. Right? So, and, and, it's so, and you've got to think, the, the ramification there is, is okay, so what if someone's asking them to do something that their natural inclination is no, but now they feel like they're going to get in trouble if they don't? Yeah. You've confused the kid now. Yeah. So helping children to understand you've got a boundary around you. It's this invisible shield. Yeah. And you get to say yes and no. And, of course, parents have to help their kids use those words appropriately. Yes for certain things that are healthy, you know, no for certain things that are not yeah. healthy really unhelpful or dangerous mm. even right? and to help our kids to use those words mm. that keep themselves safe in their own situations yeah. you know? i think the dilemma for parents is our parents feel that if they teach their kids to say no they're gonna say no to their parents yeah right but the truth is within a good relationship they might say no but it'll be appropriate yeah 100%. okay so, you know, it's not no for everyone else and, and but yes for everyone on the inner circle of the family. Unfortunately, that keeps pedophiles safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk yeah, about... Yeah, I wanted to swing oh. back to the, the Senate hearing. Yes. Yeah. The Senate inquiry because we sort of like delved off from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you want to continue? Yeah, yeah. I, I think one of the things that came up, um, you know, which um, 
often, unfortunately, I think, for example, the, the Catholic communities are stereotyped against is priests who have either been pedophiles or have colluded with and kept secret the actions of other priests, yeah. right? And and rightly so for the, for those that were perpetrators, you know, we're, we're really, you know, hammered in the media. And I think that we also need to have a look. Um, that it's We have a slightly different system within our... Um, with, with Muslims and with imams in particular, and I'll just use the word clergy, right? So it's just to relate to people who are imams or people who are priests, clergy, you know, with religion. Mm. So I think one of the one of the ideas in Catholicism and, and one of the things that was very largely challenged in the Senate inquiry was around confession. What if someone comes to you and discloses that they are harming a child or that they know a child was being harmed according to the rules of confession, that that would be locked down in mm. a world of secrecy, secrecy and confidentiality. Fortunately, imams are not locked down with any such um, rules around confidentiality. So, if um, a disclosure comes to the light or the um, comes to the light of an imam, an imam should be reporting that, right? Yeah. Um, and an imam not only should be reporting, you know, and helping that or, or telling that person to hand themselves into the police. In fact, should make a report to Department of Human Services or Department of Human and Health Services, um, Child Protection, and actually making a report, yeah. not keeping the confidentiality of a, of a, of a perpetrator. Mm. So um, we, don't have the same, we don't have the same rules, you know, with, with Muslim clergy compared to, you know, for example, Catholic clergy, although that's being challenged, I believe. Yeah. 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 That was in 2013. Is that still the case now? Uh, no, I, I have a feeling that just re, uh, I think as a result of the Royal Commission also into the same issue, yeah. I think that that was overruled. Okay. They, they're meant to report that under all circumstances. So all right. all people who are in positions of responsibility, and this also goes to, I think that there's a huge lack of training <clears throat> with people who are in positions of responsibility of children. The exception here is teachers. So teachers within Islamic schools go through, have ongoing training. They understand what their legal obligations are, which is to report it. So if a child discloses to a teacher, a school counsellor, a canteen officer, anyone within that sort of school premise has to mandatory report that to, you know, um, child protection, mm -hmm. to protect the child, okay? Yeah. Um, I think we've got to have the idea that within our organisation, some of the vulnerability points are things like youth organisations, sporting clubs, um, which is also looked at in the Senate inquiry, um, and language schools, like weekend yeah. language schools, um, even even just mosque-run activities. Yeah, like weekend right? Quran lessons. Weekend Quran lessons or just, just even, you know, Friday night classes for the yeah. youth and that type of thing where adults are in charge of those. Those adults have to have, by law, a working with children check and which is basically like a police check, right? So they have to have a little card that comes and be registered to, um, you know, that they're a safe adult to work with or to, to leave your children with. So it's important for parents to ask, you know, the leaders of their, you know, children's youth groups or Quran schools, does everyone here have working with, like, active and... Um, current working with children check because they expire just like a driver's license and then someone has to renew them mm -hmm. because that's the last thing that a Quran school wants to be doing is employing someone and they haven't done a check mm. but they might be a registered sex offender yeah. this is one so it's, it's by law they have to have it if you work with children you have to have it mm. yeah. okay so all psychologists do teachers do 
you know, but but people sports coaches do they have to have it. Yeah. Okay, it's one it's one form of protection. Mm, yeah, yeah, 100%. But I, I think that there's I think that there's lots of other um the vulnerability spots. Um one is around like understanding these disclosures might be made. You might get a really worried, you know, Muslim family who this has happened and they go to where? The imam. Why? Because it's the most practised help-seeking mechanism for Muslim community members, right? If they have a problem that's really big, you know, whether it's mental health, family violence, you know, often the imam is someone that many families do turn to. Not yeah. all, but many do, right? Yeah. The, the problem is, is that unlike Christian clergy who are very well trained in pastoral care, counselling, um, or, and have huge infrastructure, so huge organisations, Brotherhood of St. Lawrence, you know, um, Catholic Family Welfare or Centre Care, Anglicare, you know, these are huge, um, basically church-based organisations or not-for-profits that are really well-resourced to cope with so many problems that community members face and the Muslim community um, has very, very little social service infrastructure, right? Mm. So... But also, our imams are not highly trained in these areas. So sometimes when community members want the A to Z of every service, you know, um, from the imam, the, the imams may not ha know where to refer, yeah. you know, to. Now, I think that there's been absolutely, last 10 years, ongoing efforts for, um, you know, to upskill imams in areas of child protection matters, domestic violence, mental health, but it, it's sometimes it's sometimes not enough or there's still not always infrastructure around the imam to um, make those necessary referrals, you know, onto service providers who are experts in their field, who are qualified in areas to support the families or to put a host of services around those families. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, th I think if bare minimum child protection or child first is a really good place to start. Child first is a little bit different. It's more like if you've got questions and, you know, there's been some, you know, some, some rumblings in the community, you know, um, around, you know, a particular story or family or someone's been abused. It, that's often a good place to start. I've exactly. heard this or this has happened. Where can we get, a, you know, where can we get yeah. some services? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like the whole thing about, like you want to seek the right right person's help. Like if you've got a fire in your house, you're not going to go to a doctor and say, "What do I do?" Right. You know, you're going to go and call a firefighter <laughs> to come help fight your fire. Yeah, so it's that's like, right. um, one of those things. So you ha you have seen change over the years, like in terms of I, I think upskilling imams and whatnot. There definitely has been, um, I think, a lot of investment in the area of upskilling some imams. But remember, it's volunteer. It's voluntary. Mm. So and and imams are very time poor. You know that they and this is. I think part of our infrastructure deficit within the community is that imams are a one-stop shop for everything that goes wrong in your life. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Poor imams, you know, yeah. they just get loaded with everything. And, and it, you know, is it unreasonable for us to expect that that's um, that they should know everything about everything, you mm. know? Um, I, the same type of thing is put on teachers sometimes. They have to be the one-stop shop. The difference with teachers is they're in a school and that they're well-resourced. Yeah. Imams, you know, that that's, are situated out in, you know, our local mosques are not well-resourced. Yeah. They don't have a team of people working and coordinating services or case-managing families coming through. That would be a really good idea if that happened. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't happen. Yeah. But it would be a really great idea if it was happening. Um, it was. Yeah. I remember listening to a khutbah once um, and it was a different type of khutbah because, you know, you know how khutbahs often can be the same sort of topics that are repeated constantly. 
But this specific khutbah was one speaking about, and this was at university, and it was speaking about how us as the university students are like the future in the Muslim community. Do you know what I mean? It's like th- those that are studying psychology are the future psychologists, the Muslim psychologists, those are su- um, that are studying dentistry and whatnot. And the good thing about that is, is if someone does need help in regards to going to see a psychologist like you, for example, yeah. they can go see a Muslim psychologist rather than an imam. Do you know what I mean? Or mm. someone that needs to go see an engineer and whatnot. Because us as a community, we have to upskill ourselves and be resourceful within each other rather than seeking someone that sort of doesn't understand. Yeah, I've um, kind yeah. of seen it. I've seen it with certain imams now, mashallah. Like yeah. Sheikh Ala, for example, from Harburg Mosque, he's a very big advocate on therapy. And he, yeah, I don't know why, subhanAllah, like whenever somebody remember him <laughs> talking to me about, like he always encourages certain people when they're going through issues he can't relate to or he can't help somebody with. We'll always refer him, mashallah. Honest, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So I think I think they're starting to be a big a bit more like a there's a little bit more openness mm. to like um allowing the uh the um the experts to take care of certain issues. Yeah. But and I think that that has been a really significant work in progress. Yeah. yeah. Is you know get like I think it was I'm trying to think now two thousand and eight. 2008, 2009, yeah. when I had my first referral from an imam and, um, and I went, whoa, yeah. you know, and so it was very early in my, in, early in my career and I'm like, all right, this is a good sign. Yeah, it's a good yeah, sign. This is a good sign. You yeah. know, you, you want to say, you want to support the imams in their, in their um, work with the community and, um, and there's lots of work to be done. Yeah. 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 yeah, for sure. And a key word Seuss just used before Sahel, sorry, <laughs> was... Um, Experts, you know what I mean? Meaning we need more experts. Yeah. You know what I mean, we need to rely on people to go out there, get graduated, get that degree. And we need someone we can be comfortable with at the end of the day. So definitely, definitely. Um, but yeah. I wanted to ask you if there's anything else you wanted to expand on and then we'll go like we'll do like a revision, basically like key points of the whole <laughs> thing. Yeah, we've said a Just lot. So Hope we you were taking notes. <laughs> you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Just so we can Don't make sure us. that we got everything. Yeah, no. I won't pass that. But just before we do a review, uh-huh. um, for people out there, because we never know, some people, want, someone from our audience might have suffered from something that we've spoken about in this episode, um, and they do want to seek help, where would you recommend them to go? Hmm. Uh, yeah, look, um, th- I think that there's lots of services um, out there, so really, you know, look, look local um, and, you know, just type in, do find a psychologist. It's a website. It can direct you to different psychologists. Um, the Centre for Muslim Wellbeing has a directory for Muslim counsellors and psychologists. Um, so you can go to that website and look up for Muslim psychologists um, as well. If you want something, someone who you think has a shared understanding or shared faith background um, as you. Um, if for children, um, a good starting point is sometimes the children's hospital. I mean, even just your your general practitioner, so your GP, can often be a good starting point. It's often a safe and trusted relationship if you want to bring it up with a GP first and often they will have, um, you know, a list of resources. Now, that could be a referral to a psychologist that works in trauma um, or, or referral to specific organisations like Gatehouse who works with um, children um, who've been assaulted. Um, if you're an adult and you've experienced um, uh, sexual assault, sexual harassment in the workplace, then the Centre Against Sexual Assault, which has locations in the north and I think the east, southwest, mm-hmm. um, community health centres sometimes have what we call CASA workers um, located um, in them. So there's some that's, that's probably some good starting points yeah. for people. 
um, yeah, or just type in, you know, psychologist that deals with sexual assault yeah. or child child sexual abuse or so there's lots of there's um different directories that are online that list what um what different counselors and psychologists specialize in so obviously find someone who specializes in it because not all psychs do um do do it i was going to say like all those those um, names that you've mentioned like for example the hospitals and all that whenever somebody goes to them and discloses like a, a case of sexual assault or harassment or whatever it is they're protected by law correct that um what what like what's being said is protected under like um yeah, so with the exception of a child, yeah. so if a if a parent um, was if a child had disclosed to a parent, um, I- anyone that that parent discloses to is by law um, has to usually report if the child is still at risk. I'm saying if the child is still at risk of um, the perpetrator being in that person's life, then they have to report to child protection. I think in terms of one of the things that can make parents feel scared is that occurring. Mm. Um, but if the parent, if the child is no longer um, exposed to or is being protected from that perpetrator um, within the family, a report may not be made. It'll be just more like a referral to a service. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So if the child is still at risk, like for example, the perpetrator is living in the house where the child lives, and that can sometimes occur, where it's a biological or step parent or it's an extended family member who still has access to the child, then and that child is still at risk in some way, um, then. Um, child protection will get involved. And what I mean by get involved, it means support the family to um, refer that child um, and the family to support services. It doesn't mean take the child away from the family, okay? Um, so that that's not one of the issues that occurs in this particular space um, unless the parents are failing to protect the child. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But of course, most parents do step up and protect the child when they know that this is happening. I love that. I yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Um, Oh, sorry. I wanted to reiterate the question just just to make sure that I get across what I actually want to get across. So basically, what I meant was a lot of the times when people open up to somebody else, they fear that it it transfers and it goes to other people. You know what I mean? Like basically, for example, uh, I go to yeah. a psychologist, yeah, and then I say something to them, and then um, that psychologist now basically knows something about me. So now they they fear that now that that psychologist knows something about me. It might word might spread about what happened to me or a trauma. Yeah. Basically, I'm saying like, do people people are protected under law? Yes. Like if they if they've been disclosed the situation or whatever it is that's going on. Absolutely. Like you're you're completely covered by law if if yeah. you don't trust the person in general, you just have lack of trust issues and stuff like that. Absolutely. So thanks for raising that point. So yes. So when when you come and see a psychologist, and if that's something that you um want to disclose 100% of what you say is is under the uh, basically a code of ethic which is about confidentiality so nothing leaves the four walls mm. basically to anyone okay mm. now the exception to that is you're still being harmed okay so you the client is still being harmed or someone's going to harm you okay um, or that you're going to harm yourself so in the cases where someone is, you know, self-harming or or indeed is is going to, you know, maybe has um, in, intent to suicide or suicidal ideation, etc. Depends, um, um, or you plan to harm someone else. So they're the only three exceptions to the rule of confidentiality. Everything else is within the walls of the um, within the walls of the counselling room. Mm-hmm. So families can feel really assured that if you if you do see a psychologist. 
councillor that has these that abides by these code of ethics, which they have to do by mm. law, otherwise we're reportable. Um, that it's a very safe, confidential service. Um, and, and I think that this is that's a really good point because I think if you're seeing you know, the Muslim community, we're a pretty small community in some way, diverse, but, you know, yeah. um, and um, and just have to have some reassurance that nothing about what's going on in your life or your family's life will leave the four walls of the council. Yeah, yeah. That's the main thing, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like I was saying, was there any other points you wanted to raise about the topic? Like... Or do you reckon we've pretty much covered? I reckon we're done. Yeah, <laughs> I reckon for whoever's listening, well, that's that's a that's fair a bit of information for yeah. tonight. But I just want to, you know, tell anyone who's listening, if anything that we've said is, you know, been really triggered, you know, triggered you because you're just like, oh my god. Firstly, I didn't know this was happening in the community. Um, you know, just take stock. This, you know, <coughs> like this, the sharing of this information tonight is is really really meaningful and purposeful for to acknowledge all of the people, all the people who have actually suffered yeah. um, for decades in silence and um, um, without any without any support, without any validation of what they went through. And so it is really important that we talk about this tonight just to acknowledge all the victims, no matter who they are, yeah. um, and, and to try and create services or structures or conversations um, you know that acknowledge the pain and and that can be as helpful as as possible um, in their repair and recovery. It's crazy. Yeah. And also on top of that as well, like one of the main purposes of this conversation is like to cure ignorance because there's going to be people in the audience that didn't know about something. Like I didn't know about a lot what you said today, and I'm learning a lot. Do you know what I mean? And someone else out there is when they might see something that shouldn't have happened, might deal with it or raise the question. So that's another. Um, major part of this is to cure ignorance within ourselves first and as well from the audience as well. So Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, if you're that, you know, you might be a friend and a, and a parent discloses that something's happened to, you know, your child, you have to know, you know, help them to realise that there's a lot of support services out there and to really encourage, encourage early intervention mm. because that's going to help your child or young person to recover um, and to move way past, you know, what, what, has, what has been a, quite a traumatic experience. Yeah. We can lead a healthy life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll do our we'll do our brief wrap up. So basically, I wanted to go through real quickly the step the grooming process. We'll, we'll do another. Remember, we're talking about it. We'll do another podcast specifically for grooming because there's many types of grooming, and this sort of stuff is something we need to raise awareness for as well. But when it comes to child sexual abuse or sexual abuse in general, the grooming process. Yeah, I think that's a really good topic because I think there's a whole big discussion there about grooming online and what that looks like. And I think grooming online can really, you know, take different sort of forms from, mm. you know, people being scammed, you know, out of as adults being scammed out of money, money or fiance, yeah. children, you know, <laughs> being, you know, um, you know, sort of groomed, you know, to share photos or that type of thing. Um, yeah, so grooming is and even grooming to join organisations overseas that yeah. are illegal in Australia. Um, so I think grooming is a process that really needs to be broken down so that you're, um, I, I guess, you know, when people, sometimes good people are easily manipulated because you just don't think other people are that bad. Mm. You project your goodness onto other people and you can't fathom that other people are actually, can sometimes be... Um, a bit more insidious and want something from you that yeah. you don't want to freely hand over. Uh, okay. 100%. Okay. So, 
from the you know, like I was saying, we developed on the grooming process today. We also developed on um, you have to make sure that we bring this to light for one reason is to make sure that these people, these sickos that are working in the dark, no longer have a place in the dark. We shine on the light on them, and inshallah, the quicker we can ice, like we can, the quicker we can um, educate people on how to out these people and how to get rid of them from our society, inshallah, at least like like um, make the consequences a lot more like unbearable for them. So then they either don't perpetrate or they cop the the, the full brunt of the law. Inshallah, I think that's the best thing. Mm-hmm. And then, um, is there any other points that we wanted to just uh, quickly touch on? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, you know, we don't want to be a community where, because because we don't talk about it, because of the shame of it, because of um, to, you know, like ideas around um, honor and and shame, mm-hmm. uh, or the embarrassment that comes up, that those very those those exact variables attract pedophiles into our community because they go. That community has so many taboos about sex, sexuality, around sexual abuse. No one's going to talk about nothing. I'm safe. So we talk about it, then we flush them out. Because we don't want to be the community that is quiet about things and provide a a safe, you know, like a safe environment for pedophiles. That's an excellent way of putting it. That's a very, that's an excellent way of putting it. Yeah, well, okay. (laughs) Okay. Instead of being accepting... (laughs) Hey everyone, let's, yeah. let's just chill out and let's make sure that we make it very clear that we're ousting anyone who does anything stupid like yeah. that. Mm. Okay, beautiful. Oh, I think we'll wrap it up there. Okay. Are you reckon it's about it? Yeah. yeah. I reckon beautiful. we're probably done. I love it. Too easy. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much for coming on, Monique. You're a legend. We're also going to have this Ask Monique segment that might be an IGTV special or it might be a uh, YouTube special. Okay. Either of the two, we've got um, questions from the audience and we'll get you to answer them, inshallah. Okay, sure. If you have the time, you can grace us with your presence again, inshallah, <laughs> sure. next time on the podcast. Don't worry, we're going to see a lot more of Monique on this channel. Oh, we've got a lot of things to shine a light on, trust me. <laughs> like we said, fan favourite. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, don't forget like and subscribe on the channel, inshallah. Don't forget, we also have um, a TikTok that we're trying to make blow up. <laughs> let's, let's, oh, wrong, wrong, wrong time to use yeah, wrong, wrong, <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong channel. <laughs> but no, yeah, basically, yeah, inshallah. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, yeah, we'll see you guys soon, inshallah. Just wanted to add one last thing where we can find Monique or if the audience wanted oh, to yeah, find good point. Monique because Monique, Monique has yeah. her own clinic as well. Plug the clinic. Oh, thanks, guys. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Plug it, go, Monique. Beautiful. Okay. <laughs> yeah, located in Essendon in Melbourne. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful. It's we crazy. love that. Don't forget. We'll see you soon. And you're going to see a lot more of my next on the channel, inshallah. <laughs> Take care. <laughs>